Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at that eventually. I am going to be looking at a number of passages this morning. I do not believe that you, unless you're really fast, if you're really fast, you can follow along. Otherwise, I'm going to encourage you, I will read portions of those passages, but we are going to do something today that's sort of like uh, skipping a stone. We're going to hit some highlights. And what we're going to look at today is signs and symbols that are in the Bible. A sign or a symbol is not the real event, it is not the real place, and it's not the real action that took place. But it represents that. This morning, we are going to, and I'm going to end the sermon with talking about the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is not the death of Jesus Christ. But it represents it. It's a memorial. It looks back to that. But that's not the first and only time that we see this kind of thing in the Bible. God wants to grab our attention and hold our attention and constantly and clearly and concisely remind us of who He is, what He has done, and what He has asked us to do. And so... All the way through the Bible, God has given us um, signs and symbols. Oh, there it is. Had me worried there for a second. You may have seen as you drive along and everyone is trying to grab your attention. There are those big billboards that say, buy this, come visit us here, spend your money here. And then you also get the ones that says, put your message here. They're still doing the same. They're advertising about advertising. You know that. Our government, rightly so, puts up signs that say, Stop! Yield! 25 mile an hour! You're supposed to obey that, by the way, and I'm not telling you, watch me. Okay? I'm just telling you that's what you're supposed to do. Why? They're trying to get your attention. For example, this one. You all know what that means. Deer crossing, right? I don't know if this is a true story or not, but here's what happened. A lady wrote a letter to the editor and said that the... The local officials need need to take down the deer crossing sign because there's too many deer being killed on that road. They should put the deer crossing sign at a road that's less traveled. Okay, some of you got it, some of you didn't. Deer don't read the sign. It's not about the deer, it's about you. Okay, anyway, moving on. This one here. Last Sunday it was a big controversy. Probably will be again today. You know what? It's a piece of cloth made out of three different colors, right? Well, that's what it is, of course. But the thing is, it isn't just simply a flag, because while it is not our country itself, it represents everything about our country. You see, a sign or a symbol isn't the real thing. It's something that tells us. It represents it. It presents it to us, reminds us of something. When you see the flag, it ought to remind you of a whole lot of things. How about no parking? A few years ago, I don't know, I went to visit somebody at the Hershey Med Center, and their no parking handicap signs were on the, in the building, uh, the parking building, and they were all wore off except for a tiny bit. I parked there. It cost me two bucks to... Uh, Find out that you don't park there. I haven't parked there since. But, point is, 
No parking. We all know what that means. But now we come to God reminding us of who He is and how He works and what we should know and what we should remember. There are lots more than the ones I'm going to look at this morning, but let's start with this one. I don't know about you, but there are basically three things when you look out and you look at the sky. One is, and it just happened to me the other week, I was on a Friday night coming, traveling west. The sun was as bright orange as you could get. It was shining right in my eyes, and I'm going, wow. I wanted to go home and tell my wife, quick look out the window if she hadn't, but by the time I got home, it went over the hill. But it's like, wow, that's overwhelming. Or when the moon comes out like it did a a month or so ago, and it was so bright, it kind of lit everything. You go, wow. And a rainbow gets me the same way. I don't know about you, but, you know, a nice sunset, it's, it's hard to beat. This is something we look at and we see a rainbow and we go, hey, come quick, look, there's a rainbow, there's a double rainbow. We say, wow, isn't that beautiful? But you know what? The rainbow is a beautiful sign, but it also is a sign of something else. It's a sign that God doesn't mess around when he says enough's enough. He brings judgment. You see, God, and uh, we're in Genesis chapter 9 here, God said, I've had it with the the people of this world. Their their hearts are continually evil, and I am going to destroy them. And for 120 years, Noah preached, you know, to repent, repent. They wouldn't. Only eight people went on the ark. And after it was over, and he had destroyed absolutely everything, it was a worldwide flood. He destroyed everything that breathes. When it was done, they all came out and he says, I am going to give you a sign of my covenant with you. I'm making it between me and you. In fact, as he goes on to say that it is also going to remind him, it's going to be a sign to him that he's not going to destroy the world again by water. So we don't need to worry about that. So in that case, it's simply this. God will judge. At the same time, God promises and makes a covenant with Noah and the people of this earth that he will never again do it by water. Now, in the New Testament, we know that he is ultimately going to destroy the whole earth, this sinful earth. In the end, he's going to destroy it with fire. So hot that it melts even the elements. But he says, when he sees that, when he sees that bow in the cross, he will remember the covenant that he made with us. And we are to remember the promise God made to us. It's his sign. Oh, it's not the flood itself. It is a reminder of that. It's a sign of that. The second one, and I chose not to put a slide up here, of circumcision. You might understand that. But there were other people in the world that circumcised the males of of their their people. But in the nation of Israel, circumcision was more than just a removal of flesh. It was a spiritual sign that he gave that they are God's set-apart people. They are God's chosen people. He is setting them apart for himself. And he says, that sign of that covenant is going to be circumcision. He said, you are a set-apart people. 
Anyone that believes that God has done away with Israel is wrong. We're going to see this a second time in, in these signs. But God says, no, I'm not done with Israel. I've given them a sign that's going to continue on for God's people, the Hebrew people. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, you and your descendants are going to be set apart as my people. When we look, you realize that God's work, what he has given us, his son, the word of God, many, many other illustrations of what God wants have come through his people. And yes, in the future, he is going to work directly with them. We as the church are just a bleep in history. Nothing wrong with that. But we are not as God's chosen people in the sense of a physical race with a physical sign. We have a sign as God's people in the church. We didn't get to that one yet. Chris already alluded to it. And then there is the Passover. You know that the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 means simply this, that the death angel passed over the houses. Again, that Passover is a sign, a symbol that God gave to remind us that he will judge sin. In this case, it makes it very clear in Exodus chapter 12 that he was judging the gods of the nation of Egypt. Most people don't recognize that. They say, well, he was just judging those people. But if you look at all ten plagues, they were ten plagues against the primary deities of the pagan-worshipping Egyptian people. Now, there was sin involved here too, but there was the idolatry of those pagan false idols and gods. He judged them. And he said that final judgment was that the death angel was going to kill the firstborn in every household. From Pharaoh on down. That included the Israelites. In fact, you didn't have to be an Israelite to participate in this. Because he said, if you want to have the death angel pass over, you need to take a lamb and you need to slay the lamb the night before I'm going to do this. And you need to take the blood and you need to do some hyssop and use it kind of like we would use a paintbrush and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of your door to your house. And if the death angel sees that, he will pass over. He said, that's a sign to you. That sign, again, is a sign of judgment. No doubt about that. But it's also a sign of redemption. When we look back and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the truth of the matter is, it has its origins, it has its basis in the Passover. Because we deserve God's judgment on sin in our lives. We're sinful people. But it's the blood... And that's what's represented here. The body and the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that gives us the victory over sin. The victory over death. Gives us the new life. Going back. But that itself was a sign to them. And he said from then on, it's a memorial for that. And like a lot of these other signs, he says, you know what? Oh, they're not the real thing themselves. Every time they celebrate the Passover, it's not the real thing. That only happened once. It happened back in Egypt. But every time you do it, if somebody refuses to celebrate the Passover, they'll be cut off from the people. 
If you check these signs, go back and check them. I don't have time to do this this morning. If you go back, you'll find out that many of them just not carrying out the memorial, the remembrance, the sign, the symbol. God says, you'll be cut off from my people. In fact, as it says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, if we do it in an unworthy manner, he says a number sleep, a number are sick, and a number, uh, and a number are weak. You know what it's saying? Same kind of thing. It's like, no, God will take you out. Cut off means you will be taken out. It is a capital punishment. That's what it was in the Old Testament. Several of these have that. In fact, there's a number of them do. It's more than several. A number of them do. It's like, hold a second. No, it's the flag. But no, when you disrespect, when you disrespect the flag, you disrespect the country it represents. Here he's saying, you disrespect this, you're disrespecting the God who brought this. It's the way a symbol works. Then there's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is something that absolutely circumcision set apart the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. But the Sabbath absolutely did. Because others practice circumcision also. But only the Jewish people kept the Sabbath. He says this keeping the Sabbath is something that makes you distinctive. It sanctifies you. Now, keeping the Sabbath doesn't uh, mean that uh, you're made holy. Sanctification simply means you're set apart. No other nation celebrated the seventh day of the week as a day of rest. Think about this. Our country doesn't do anything like this. We do not live under the law, by the way. But the truth of the matter is, all the rest of the peoples of the world believe, if we don't work seven days a week, we can't make it. God said, no, I rested on the seventh day, so can you. Started way back, creation. He said, I rested on the seventh day. And then he put it in the law and said, this is going to be one of those things that sets you apart from the other nations. That one day a week, you're not going to work. And people say, well, that's not such a big deal. You could probably make it. But Sabbaths are not just for one day a week. But every seven years, they were not allowed to plant at all. And for one whole year, they had to rely on God. See, the Sabbath set them apart from all the rest. It's not like it's business as usual and everything has to remain the same. But I will provide regardless if you're obedient to me. And so it set them apart from all the other people. He said, that Sabbath is a sign to you. Anybody know what that represents? One person got it right in the early service. Anybody know what that represents? Go ahead, Craig. I knew you'd know it. Oh, come on. You stole my thunder. You're just supposed to say Aaron's rod that budded. Okay. Anyway, do you know what? That's a sign. says it right in the Bible. It's a sign. If you don't know this story, they were arguing about who's supposed to be the spiritual leaders in Israel. And they finally got, God was had it with it and said, okay, each representative of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, you take a stick and we're going to put it in the temple and which one buds is going to be the one of the person that I've chosen. And so on behalf of the tribe of Levi, Aaron put his rod in. 
The next day they came back. Something happened that doesn't happen in nature. And Craig got ahead of me here. But, and that's good. He, he knows the story. But it didn't come out just with buds on. It came out with buds and flowers and ripe almonds. That doesn't happen in nature. God said, okay, I've not only did what I said I would do and identify that tribe, and it was the tribe of Levi, Aaron being the high, first high priest. He said, I'm going to really hammer this one. And it's going to be above and beyond even what I told you would happen. There can be no uh, misunderstanding of who is to be my spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. And he says, this will be a sign to you, a sign against those who rebelled. And by the way, that's found in Numbers chapter 17. The next one is something that the Jewish people still practice, only the off ultra-Orthodox ones, but they still practice that. You'll notice a guy has something wrapped around. He didn't hurt his arm, and he has something on his head. That is not a miner's lamp. Those are phylacteries. Simply this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he told them, and uh, the, the, the adults, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure you teach the next generation. They are to You are to teach them when you sit down, when you eat a meal, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're walking along the way. You are to be teaching the next generation. A great passage in the Bible for passing on the truths of the Word of God to the next generation. And he says, and by the way, you will wear them around your arm and around your forehead. In Israel, even today, if you go in the door, even in a hotel, right on the side, they have a little scroll plastered on the, or nailed fast to the door that contains this scripture that I'm just talking about from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But they wear them today pretty much ceremonially. But he said, these things are to be a sign to remind you to teach the next generation. Again, it's a sign, it's a symbol. Wearing those things is not going to teach your kids a whole lot, but it's going to remind you that you are supposed to. That's what he's saying. God is making it very clear. He wants these things to bring to remembrance, to remind us of what is going on. The next one is from the Old Testament, but I'm going to go to the New Testament for my passage. Because Hebrews is the New Testament commentary, kind of a condensed Old Testament, but it tells us why the law was given and why all the things from the Old Testament were written. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it makes it clear, and it says this starting in verse 1, For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Now when it's talking about year the year it's talking about the day of atonement and those kinds of things. But those priests sat there I'm sorry, stood there every day sacrificing animal after animal after animal and offering them. And he said looking back, he says they could never Take away one single sin. But he says, they were a reminder that you're sinful. They were a reminder that blood was required by God. And you see, they were never the perfect sacrifice. But they did foreshadow 
what was ultimately going to happen. Because remember, and you know I like to say this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. They all were foreshadowing. They were all looking ahead. They were just a little bleep about what Jesus Christ would do. In the Old Testament, the word is atonement. Simply means to cover over. Yeah, it reminded them. Covered the sin for a short time. Until the perfect would come. Until Jesus Christ would die for the sins of the whole world. And He would bring that to an end. And it is very clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, it says, But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. There's a reminder. You're sinful. You need to have a sacrifice. And of course, Jesus Christ is the one that totally fulfilled that. Verse 4 there says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ could do that. Now, we don't have a sacrifice. But when we look back, they looked ahead to the perfect sacrifice. Praise the Lord, we have the advantage. We can look back and be reminded of the perfect sacrifice that was given approximately 2,000 years ago. They were looking ahead. We can actually look back. Then we come to the one from the New Testament, the first one from the New Testament, and that is baptism. Baptism won't save you. This passage will make that clear. Every place else in the the Bible says they believed the Word of God, they trusted Christ, and were baptized. That's why we teach believers baptism. Getting baptized, getting wet, I don't care what form or whatever, it cannot save you, period. It just cannot. Because it's a symbol. It's an outward identification. Chris was a little uptight when he found out. I'm like, no, Chris, what you're doing is exactly a backup to what I'm going to say in the sermon. Now, there's a lot in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 that's difficult. Believe it or not, there are, from my research, 90 different interpretations of part of this thing. I am not going into that this morning. That's not my purpose. I'm going to look at the big picture. Because... It absolutely is an identifying passage. And in this case, it makes it clear, baptism cannot save you. But it's also more than simply a ceremony that you go through. Because it says that there is something that comes out of it that's even bigger than simply a sign or symbol. Because it says the obedience to baptism gives a good conscience. That's what it says. So let me, let me read what the passage says. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having put to death, in, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, remember 120 years, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And he goes on to say, and corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Notice what it says. It is not the act itself. 
That is by faith. God in His graciousness has given us Jesus Christ, given us the possibility of being saved. He is offering us a gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, a a life worth living. He offers that in grace. There's nothing you can do to buy it. It's a gift. We have to accept that, and that's an act of faith. That's the only way it can be accepted. But God's approved symbol, sign, identification that you have done that spiritually is baptism. It is God's testimony to the world, as Chris said. In many places, it'll put a target on your back. Here, probably won't do that. Because people will come to your baptism, and if you're getting baptized, and if you've trusted Christ and haven't been baptized, this is the advertisement for the end of the month, is, you know what? You need to do that. Because why? Because it's going to save you? It's going to make you a better Christian? The answer is, not really. But what it will do is give you a good conscience, because you were obedient. What did Noah do? The water saved no one. Just in case you haven't read this in this passage, the water didn't save anyone. Go back in Genesis, find out the water destroyed everything except an ark. It was in the ark that they were saved. See, Noah obeyed God. And as a result of that, he was saved. The water destroyed everybody else and everything else. The whole world was destroyed catastrophically. It was destroyed. But he says, in that same way, baptism saves you. Why? It's obedience. There, um, the, the one true about baptism, and you can find this in Romans chapter 6, which is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about what happened to you when you trusted Christ. You didn't necessarily know this because somebody said, you need to believe in Jesus Christ and you need your sins forgiven. You need to trust him. You didn't go, oh, Romans chapter 6 says that we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we were raised with Christ. You might have known that, maybe you didn't. I didn't when I got saved. But here's what happened. Is Christ indeed, the real act was that he died for our sins, he was buried, taking our sins, burying them, proving he had died for them, it wasn't a a hoax, and then he rose again. Glorified body, all new, power over sin, power over death. Well, guess what? Baptism won't do that for you. It says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. You see, if I, and, and when I do the baptism class, I say, before you come for baptism, please take a bath. We are not asking you to come and get your Saturday night or Sunday night bath. Because the water gets pretty dirty after a while, just in case if, you wanna, if you're getting baptized, if you want to volunteer to go first, you're really actually smarter than everybody else. But nonetheless, just letting you know that. But here's the point. Baptism doesn't save you. But what baptism does, first of all, the word means to dip or to place into. In all of Scripture and in all of the Greek language, it always means the object is placed into the liquid. When you look at the Bible, every illustration is that they went into the water. And then after they were done, they came back up out of the water. The point is this. It symbolizes that Christ died. Christ was buried and Christ rose again. Only baptism by immersion actually demonstrates or is a symbol or a sign of what Christ has done. 
That's why we only practice immersion here at Garden Chapel. Because it is the only form of baptism that people um, use that actually does what the Bible says it should do. It symbolizes what happened. Is it the real salvation? No. But it's an outward identification with what actually happened to you. Because you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. And you were raised with Christ. That's why we practice that. The end result of baptism? I'll never forget Dottie Breon, one of the first people I've ever baptized. I told them, baptism is not about feeling good or anything else. It is an act of obedience for a good conscience. And we, we had the baptism in, in the, the Edder's pool back when they had a pool. We had it in their backyard. And she came up to me immediately afterward and said, Paul, you said baptism wouldn't make you feel better. You're wrong. <laughs> because you know what? When you have a good conscience, when you've been obedient, you actually do feel better. But that's not the main purpose of it. The point is, it is a symbol of what actually happened. It's God's given symbol of what happened. And now as the men gather, we're going to look at the last one. Because you see, God has given us another remembrance that we are to take into consideration as we live the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it makes it clear that we are to do this in remembrance of what He has done for us. He says at the same time, and I'm going to just ask you at this point to bow your heads. There's a reason for this. I'm not going to do anything weird. But it says that we're to examine ourselves. I can tell you personally, when I know we're doing communion, for a couple of days ahead, I keep saying to my, uh, in my prayer time, Lord, if there's something I need to confess, show me right now so that I can stand in front of these people and not be a hypocrite. Because the Bible says that we're to examine ourselves to make sure we're living a life that's worthy of what Christ has done for us. You see, Christ has done everything for us. He's forgiven our sins. He's given us a life worth living. He's given us an eternal home. And if we are saying, well, yeah, I trusted Christ, but I'm still going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm still going to live in my own selfish, sinful ways. That's hypocritical. And so I'm encouraging you, if you know there's something you need to confess, you need to get it right, please do that. Because it says if we don't, we're eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. Um, and so I'm just encouraging you to, that you would, in the quietness of this moment, and one of our elders is going to pray in a moment here, uh, I'm asking you, confess that. And if there's something you need to do to get right with somebody else, I'm going to tell you that... Uh, I don't want you to get up and leave right now, but get on your cell phone, get to that person's house, talk to them if they're in this auditorium, talk to them immediately as soon as it's over and get that straightened out because we are to eat and drink in a manner that's worthy of what Christ has done for us. Is it the real act of Christ dying? The answer is no. It's a memorial, a remembrance of what he has done. It reminds us of our great need. We were sinful. It reminds us of the great provision, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And it also reminds us that we are to live in a manner that reflects what we say is true in our lives. I'm going to ask Brother Will, 
if we would thank the Lord for the body that he gave for us. Lord, you tell us in Scripture that um, you did not consider equality or your position with God something to be held on to, but you uh, became obedient and humbled yourself and took on our humanity. Lord, you took on our flesh. Um, You suffered uh, more than we can think or even imagine. Your body was bruised. Your body was broken. You took the punishment that we rightly deserved for our sin. You took it upon yourself. You died on the cross. Um, for the penalty that we rightly deserve for our yes. sin, Lord. We are so thankful this morning for your sacrifice, for your body that was bruised and broken. Um, Lord, thank you so much for that precious gift. Amen. Amen.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. I'm going to ask Brother Craig if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood. Heavenly Father, as Will said, you chose to come. You chose to take on a body and to dwell with us, to walk with us, to teach us, to show us the Father. If we've seen you, we've seen him. And for that, we thank you. But you went beyond that. Your word tells us that the life is in the blood. Mm -hmm. And it was that blood that you willingly gave that we might live. Yes. Father, we couldn't pay for our sins. There's nothing holy. Uh, We are sinners. And yet your son was perfect, willing to give his blood for those that couldn't pay for their uh, own sin. And, Father, our bill has been paid in full because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And for that, we thank you. And for that, we remember you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
The scriptural account of the Lord's Supper continues that after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise as we are dismissed with prayer. Father, we've been reminded that you remind us by signs and symbols of those things that you have done, those things that are very important to you, like judgment of sin and redemption of those who are sinful. We thank you this morning that we could reenact what you have done. Not the act itself, but a remembrance, a memorial of the work you did on the cross. That we could proclaim your death, your burial, and your resurrection until you come again. And Lord, we we just thank you too for the end of this month where we can publicly identify with what Jesus Christ has done in our lives as baptism takes place. Lord, thank you so much for everything you've done, the life you've given us, and the life that you want us to live from here on. Lord, I pray that just the reminder from this morning would get us back on track where we've been off track, would encourage us where we've been discouraged, and would give us light where it's kind of been dim. Lord, I pray that we would go forth from here, change people, reminded of how great a God you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and live out your life.